Welcome back to Inside Marketing Design. This is a show dedicated to brand and marketing design work in tech, where we go behind the scenes with tech companies to learn how they do their work and get inspired by their projects. Today, I'm speaking with Piotr Smetana, who is the Director of Brand and Marketing Creative at Superside. Superside is a creative as a service solution that tech companies use to like extend their internal creative resources. So it's not an agency, it's not a freelance marketplace, it's more like productized creative services. And I'm actually a customer of Superside because we use them at ConvertKit. Piotr has been on the team for about two years. And in this episode, we cover a lot of things from the org structure for creatives in a creative as a services company, where there are a lot of creatives on the team, a brand refresh that happened last year, as well as how Superside, the company uses Superside, the product for their design workflow. So let's dive in and take a look inside marketing design at Superside. Welcome to the show, Pietro. I'm so excited to learn more about design at Superside because I'm a Superside customer. So I get to work with the creative team of producing client work. But I know that you've got like a different setup for um, design work happening internally. So I'm excited to dig into that. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about the marketing creative team at Superside. How many people are on it? What types of roles are on it? What's it made up of? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. But yeah, basically the marketing creative team sits, uh, surprise, surprise, in the, within the marketing uh, department at Superside, uh, which is a part of the business uh, division of a company. And we are a group of uh, right now 11 people and our roles are quite diverse. So we've actually split the team into several smaller mini groups. And we have four people in the brand and illustration design. There's a creative lead, a design director, and two senior brand designers that are also illustrators. And they're all creating you know, beautiful aesthetic visuals for the marketing and branding collateral, doing social and website assets, uh, working on our brand design system, and yeah, doing pretty much everything, all the marketing collateral. And then we have our video production team uh, with copywriters, content creators, and motion designers, adding a little bit of life and movement to all of our ideas, creating everything from our advertising content to YouTube videos, landing page videos, and even Lottie files for our website. And we also have a project manager who brings order to our creative chaos. And that person actually was promoted recently to a marketing PMO. Uh, because she was doing such a great job with uh, being an air traffic controller amidst our creative turbulences. And last but not least, we do have uh, one UX UI designer who ensures our marketing website digital experiences are as engaging and as user friendly as humanly possible. I love how multidisciplinary your team is because my team at ConvertKit, although it's a lot smaller than mm -hmm. yours by the sound of it, it's also multidisciplinary. And I think you're the first guest that I've spoken to, at least recently, who has video as a responsibility as part of the team that they lead, which I do too. So that's really exciting. As director of brand and marketing creative, which is your title, right? Yeah. How, how do you describe your responsibilities? Like what are you directly responsible for? Mm, that's a actually pretty difficult question because I think it would be easier and probably uh, faster to explain what is in my, a part of my responsibilities. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in general, I would say as a director of brand and marketing creative at Superside, my well, my responsibilities are quite diverse. I find my play, uh, myself playing multiple roles, a decision maker, a mentor, mediator, creative director, and very often actually an individual contributor. But my primary role is to, well, encourage the creative impulses on my team, to be a bridge between the marketers and creatives, to steer their direction towards a vision that aligns with the, with the brand, uh, with the business goals, and you know, obviously make decisions on project prioritizations and workflows, 
mediate any and resolve any kind of conflicts that we have, if we have them, and provide guidance uh, and mentoring to my team members. But more importantly, I'm there to ensure that every individual's creative voice is heard, it's valued, and it's amplified. Uh, and it's also my responsibility to, to shape the future of the SuperSight brand, to constantly think on how we can evolve, how we can be more efficient, how we can be more future-proof. What systems do we implement? How do we empower other teams at SuperSight in terms of using our brand collateral? So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot, um, but it's fun and it's ex exciting and, and probably it's, a, it's the biggest creative challenge in my career. I absolutely love it. Yeah. That's so awesome. I love that you're doing some IC work as well as all that stuff too. And especially given the size of your team, that's, that's really interesting to me. I know that there's other creatives on the team at Superside, right? So your team, Marketing Creative, sits within the marketing org. Can you share a little bit about the other creative teams at, at Superside and how that works and maybe how you come together? Or Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. It's a little bit complicated, but let's 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 try <laughs> to break it down. Uh, so at SuperSide, we're split into two main divisions: uh, the business divi the side, which is my home turf, and where we have you know departments like sales, marketing, finance, legal, talent team, and then you've got the services division, uh, which is all about being face to face with our customers. And this is divided into creative services and video services, housing about two hundred and fifty creatives who work around the clock with the with our clients. Uh, but here's a fun twist. Uh, there is an abundance of creatives scattered all across our business division too. So beside my team, uh, we've got a crew of creatives within the sales team, for example, growing up co some cool slide decks and mini campaigns. And we obviously have a kick-ass group of designers on the product team carving out our creative ops platform. The cool thing about SuperSide is like we're this giant family of creatives uh, spread all across the globe. And sure, we all have our different roles and we're kind of doing our own thing. But at the same time, there is a ton of collaboration going on. It's a rare that I go a day without opening my Slack to some inspiring message uh, from another creative, sharing some insights or the latest design trend. Uh, and I think it's very, it's truly unique in that regard uh, because, you know, different perspectives often lead to the most unique ideas. Uh, which benefits us and I think like also our customers. Um, so we try to foster those relationships and really create an environment where creativity can thrive and talent really doesn't have any borders. I'm curious to know how you collaborate with the creatives on the sales team in particular, because I imagine they're doing like brand facing work, right? Like public facing brand work. Um, and you, as you described as director of brand and market and creative, you're kind of responsible for that consistency there. What do you have in place or like how do you collaborate with them to make sure that what they're creating lines up with what your team is doing? So we do have this uh, channel that we call Brand Collab. And basically everyone in a company, not necessarily only the sales team, but pretty much every single team, every single person in the company can come to us and ask a question about the brand. So if they're like unsure of something, like they've seen something in the brand guidelines that maybe isn't you know clear, or they just haven't necessarily worked with, it, with our brand before, they, they have this opportunity to really come there and ask us uh, some questions. And yeah, we usually try to respond. We have this rule uh, that we try to respond maximum within like three business days, just to kind of make sure that everyone is have this ability to connect with us and, and ask those questions. Because, you know, the brands are not necessarily living in the brand guidelines. And I think it's very important to, to talk with people, to, to have this forum where they can ask those questions. They can really understand what were the decisions that we, um, what were the creative decisions or the creative rationale behind the decisions we made. 
So yeah, that's usually how we work. And yeah, if there is uh, any kind of inquiry from Graham, Graham is a creative director on the on the sales creative team. Because a lot of our work is quite ambiguous. Like sometimes we don't know, like sh- should marketing do it? Or maybe maybe that should be sales. Especially with sales team, it's, it's, it's very like, I think like the lines are, are pretty much blurred. So they're usually asking like, do you think like, we should do it or maybe do want to prefer to actually have a little bit more ownership on this one. And yeah, we, we make the decisions on the go. Um, I think like we have a really great relationship with them. We also see where our strengths are. So for example, I really don't like doing presentation work. And I think this is absolutely what my team is capable of doing. But at the same time, this is not our daily bread and butter. And which on the contrary, the sales team, they're producing it at scale. Uh, pretty much all the time. So I'm very happy that Graham's team, for example, is uh, really capable of of churning out those assets and at a high pace. And they're usually just aligning with us like, hey, we need, you know, maybe more icons in our iconography. Can you just, you know, help us out in here? And that's where we just create some assets for them and they just go and run with it. Nice. And I, I like hearing that there's a creative director leading the sales creative team as well, because that gives you like one key point of contact to keep that consistency. I also really like that you said that channel in Slack is called Brand Collab because we have one that is like a ghost town and we haven't done a very good job of like trying to institute the process to use it, but it's called Brand Approvals, which I think mm. is something that I got the idea from from another guest um, a while back. But Collab just sounds so much more inviting to me and mm-hmm. it sounds less like we're the brand police here to say yes or no to what you're doing. I honestly think I'm going to go and change that channel name after this call. I really like that that framing <laughs> a lot better. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, it sounds like you collaborate a lot with the sales creative team, but I'm curious to know, aside from like the creatives in the company, what other teams do you find yourself collaborating with most often? Or maybe the framing is like, who is your internal client in a way? Oh, yeah. Like we we do love a good collab at Superside. Uh <laughs> And we are always mixing it up with other teams. Uh, but if I had to pick the usual suspects, I would definitely say it's marketing crew. Yep. Uh, and we were pretty much attached at the hip, uh, creating all sorts of assets for advertising, brainstorming with the content peeps uh, and working out smart creative strategies with the demand generation folks. So the marketing team, definitely our go-to uh, partners in crime. And lately, we've been actually spending a lot of more time with the product team. Uh, and you might have noticed the fresh new look of our tech platform. And that was us uh, teaming up with the product gang to sprinkle in some of our branding magic. And we're all about adding those fun Easter eggs and cool illustrations that make the platform really feel like an extension of the brand. And it's been fun. We are actually now in the process of building together our ultimate design system that we call Aurora and trying to close that gap between the product and brand. Cool. Uh, as soon as you said, like adding brand touches to the product, I'm thinking of when I load a preview of something for approval in Superside, there's a cute little like loading animation of like a thing bouncing. Was that your team? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I love it. Okay. The brand is strong. Well, let's actually speak more about the brand. How would you describe the Superside brand? Oh, that's a tough question. But the Superside brand, in my opinion, it's a fusion of agility, creativity, and very deep commitment to delivering quality. So obviously, we're all about providing top-notch creative solutions at scale quickly and without losing that human touch. But we also like believe in the power of design to drive business growth. Uh, and I think that belief is very deeply rooted in our brand's DNA. And it was very important for me to make sure that this is reflected in our visual identity. 
And then, of course, we have our space theme of our brand with something we call uh, internally a design verse. And it's like a giant sandbox where designers from you know, different corners of the universe can play and create some extraordinary visuals, share learnings and experiences. And it's our own mini creative cosmos that's constantly buzzing and, and evolving and nothing is literal, nothing is impossible. In a way, it's our way to, of representing who we are uh, and what do we stand for. I think one of the most amazing aspects of SuperSide for me is the fact that we have designers and creatives from 57 countries from all across the globe. And we all have slightly different approaches to design, slightly different experiences. Our culture has shaped us uh, in a various different ways. So we wanted to make sure that our branding and our visual storytelling is reflecting that, telling that story that you can have this giant uh, universe, creative and full of people that share the same passion for, well, good design, for making the web the better place, for creating stunning work and, and leaving the digital landscape a little bit better than it was before, all while having fun, of course, and, and, and sharing and fostering that culture of uh, companionship. Is this space theme in general, and like this idea of the design verse, which I love that name, did that come out of the brand refresh process that you went through last year? It actually didn't. It, it okay. was there before. It was actually there before. But here's the kicker. Like the original brand of Supersite, you know, it was like like your first band in high school. Enthusiastic, mm. charming in its, in its own way, but not exactly you two. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, this was all before like dizzying rush of growth that we kind of hit around 2021. You know, the original brand had some good vibes, some nice colors. It was pretty catchy. We had the space theme, but it wasn't exactly built for the big time. And it wasn't really like future proof. And I remember when I first joined the team and I could see right off the bat that we were dealing with a bit of a identity crisis. There were like color mismatches here and there an illustration style that didn't quite capture our rock and roll spirit. Not to mention the vibe wasn't quite stadium tour. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think the original designers that worked on the brand had some amazing ideas such as like this our space team they came up with our catchy green moon uh, that we affectionately call uh Shmoon, that has been our trusty sidekick but you know the sound wasn't quite in sync and and the storytelling element storytelling element was missing in my opinion and it was a bit like a mixtape with a with a bunch of different genres so yeah, somewhere between 2021 and 2022, we aim to realign the brand with, with our evolving identity and values. The idea was to make SuperSide more accessible, more engaging, and more reflective of who we are. So this dynamic, innovative design powerhouse that is ready to disrupt the industry. And how did you decide that last year was, or that time between 2021 and 2022 was the right time? to tackle a brand refresh because this is like a big project right where you know you're going to have to update every single asset that's been used um, i'm curious to know how you decided this is the time we need to do this and also how you advocated for that and, and got the time to do it uh, it's funny because like considering our space team i'm really prompted to say the stars aligned <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, but yeah like like yeah on this more serious note you know we had grown and, and evolved as a company and we just realized that the that our brand needed to keep the pace our existing brand didn't fully encapsulate it, who we were becoming so it was the perfect time to just shed our old skin and step into a new more fitting one uh we've seen some very serious business growth at the time my thoughts were immediately this is it. Like we need to do it now or we're going to have much, much, much bigger problems to actually change things in the future. Maybe when we scale to like, you know, 1000 employees and everyone is going to be using the brand at the time. It's going to be very, very hard to update all those assets. 
So it's it it was still a lot of work, but I think it was worth doing it then. Yeah, before you create even more brand debt, right? Exactly. You, know, you have to exactly. pay off later. One hundred percent. And if you really think about it, we we only started like solving that problem now. So it's I don't know what maybe a year after we actually did a brand, mm -hmm. brand refresh, we look you could see our uh, internal tech platform that is updated to this new right. uh, new look. So we knew that this it's gonna take time. So the sooner we start, the better for us. Yeah, yeah, this this stuff does take time. I'm curious to know how you and your team, because I'm assuming that it was you and your team responsible for this. How did you approach this big project? How'd you break it down? What'd you mm -hmm. start with? So yeah, it was a fascinating journey. Uh, and yeah, it, it was uh, handled all internally. We actually started with a lot of introspection. So understanding who, who we are, what do we stand for and where we want to go. So we dug into our strengths, identified the areas uh, that we could improve, and of course, took a close look at the market trends as well. And yeah, after rigorous discussions and iterations, we came up with a you know brand identity that we truly felt represented, like we truly felt that it represented SuperSide. How would you describe the main visual differences between the old old brand and the new one? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, so more space. <laughs> yeah, more space, more space. But like, I feel like it was more like now everything feels more intentional, you know? Because like in the past we had just like I would just put it this way: like we we had the schmoon, we had the space team, we had some vibrant colors, but it was all feeling a little bit disconnected in my opinion, and there wasn't like necessarily like a grander storytelling around it. There wasn't general idea like where do we want to go from from here to the future so we had some problems with the color palette some of the you know original designers went for like something that is like cool but not necessarily you know scalable in a way so if i would have to pick like the biggest differences i would say more consistency more like deliberate choices rather than just like oh this looks cool so let's just do it but at the same time you know, I actually had a very interesting chat with uh, Frederick, our CEO, at the time when we were like approaching it and we were getting that buy-in actually from the exec team. He said to me that it's very important for our company to actually have space for that, for, for that randomness, for that avoiding that being too literal with what we do. And he wanted to make sure that, yeah, if there is like a dog in space in there, cool. Like, you know, if someone asks us like why and we can just answer because it's cool, that's fine too. And And I think it's, it's very nice and it's it's been very refreshing for me because I've worked at uh, many creative agencies in the past and I worked with many like multiple brands and it was sometimes very hard to convince people to kind of open up their doors a little bit and have that more more of that creative freedom in there uh, for exploration. So yeah, it's it's been definitely great to have that buy-in from uh, from the top. Yeah, that's really interesting too, and I think it's a trap you can fall into when you're creating a system is that then you become like system obsessed and you're like, if it's not in the system, we can't do it. Totally. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, is the system helping you or like holding you back from exactly. being creative? It's meant to like age you, right? So I like that approach. What were some of the main like challenges or like tough points that you hit in this brand refresh project? Because mm. I'm sure there's a lot that myself and all listeners can, can learn from this. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of challenges for sure, but... I think like one of the biggest ones was striking a balance between innovation and continuity. We needed to ensure our brand felt new and exciting, but also familiar to our existing clients. Uh, I also wanted to make sure that we don't create something that we cannot really scale. So obviously as a company that provides creative solutions at scale, I knew that we needed to stand out, but with quality often comes complexity. 
And it was very clear for me that whatever we decide upon will have to be designed in a way that will allow us for quick go-to-market. Uh, but at the same time, it will also have to be a testament to our ability to shape brands uh, for others and doing it successfully. So it was like, yeah, constantly trying to find that balance. It was also about making sure that we align with the vision of the executive team, that we take into account the voices of sales, of the, our customer-facing teams, of our talent team, people that really work with the brands every day and will be representing it. So yeah, there's been a lot of chats, a lot of alignment meetings, a lot of back and forth uh, with you know internal stakeholders. But I'm actually quite happy that, that it went this way because now everyone really feels uh, like they've been a part of the process and they added a little something from their experience into this. I love that. Yeah, bringing in all the stakeholders along for the journey so that I think that helps you get buy-in on your ideas in the end, right? What does scale look like? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Does that mean like that you made sure you had quite an extensive illustration system, color palette, maybe that there was templates created for it so that you knew you could could do things quickly. Yeah, I think it was like a little bit of everything. So in terms of like, we're churning out a lot of marketing collateral. So we knew that, sure, let's have a fun and interesting illustration style, but let's also make sure that we don't need to have like six or seven illustrators working 24 seven on just, just churning out those designs to kind of keep up. So we wanted to make sure that whatever we do, we can templatize to some, in some ways. And even like our illustration style, we have this giant library uh, now uh, that we're constantly trying to update in Figma that basically has, you know, there is a character headshots, there's like their limbs, there's like a lot of elements that we can build and iterate upon. So it was very important for us to do something that, yeah, like if there's someone new joining the team, they can literally open up this giant library and they can start, you know, working on it directly. And it's not going to take, I don't know, like a half a year for them to like really learn like how to do it. Uh, very quickly. And yeah, the same goes for yeah other aspects as, of the brand. So our color palette, like we wanted to make sure that we have this very vibrant color that we call Aurora Green. I think like for now, it's 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 very flagship to what we do and, and like how are we ident identified on, on the web. But it was very, very clear for us that we also need to have like a primary and a secondary color palette that will also give us a little bit more leeway when we work on like block headers uh, or things where you know, we need to have like an accurate representation of human uh, skin tones. So we didn't want it to corner ourselves like it, like we kind of did in the past because like our initial illustration from like 2015, 2016 was basically black and white and, you know, try to be diverse and inclusive with using this kind of style. So, yeah, it was very, very important for us to to build things in a way that would allow us to scale. Yeah, that system sounds awesome to allow people to just jump right in and, and start building things too. Okay, speaking of the space theme, when we talked before this interview, you mentioned that there is something that you do for structuring the team called Astropods. And I was like, that is a great name. What are they? <laughs> so can you share with us what are Astropods and how do they work? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like something from a sci-fi movie, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but and in a, in a way, it is. You know, they, like they're our somewhat futuristic approach to teamwork uh, okay. in a remote setting. And in the essence, the astropods are cross-functional squads focused on specific problem areas. So each astropod has a leader, a project manager, a creative lead, and other team members who bring their unique skills to the table depending on a problem. And the idea is to have diverse minds tackling uh, the same problem together rather than working in silos. It's also a chance for 
people that previously could be also could be connecting with the creative team through requests to actually have a dialogue uh, with us. Uh, so it's our way of making sure that all the teams within the marketing uh, have this opportunity to get our creative input and not necessarily on design or typical creative problems, but also on things like, I don't know, our calls book number is getting dangerously low. Like, what do we do? How do we solve this? And I think like the, the common misconception is that designers and creatives in general should be only be working with like design and painting pretty pictures. Whereas I see us as problem solvers. And, and even though we're perhaps no marketing or business experts, we have the ability to see things differently. And sometimes that's all you need. You need that creative person in the room that will listen and say something. And perhaps that's going to inspire someone else to solve a problem in a way that they would never imagine. I love that. So I, I was thinking that Astropods were like, sort of like a group of people working on a project, like let's make the creative as a services page, which we're going to get into later. But it sounds like actually they're tasked with a more general problem and it's up to the Astropod squad to come up with what actually are we going to create to solve it. Totally. And I think like, cool. you know, it's, um, it's a thing that it really depends on the problem, you know? So like the first Astropod that emerged in our marketing team was the one concentrated on paid advertising. And I mentioned to you that we're doing all of our ads ourselves. And in today's market, you really need to be putting fresh ad creative every single week, honestly, to be successful and to lower that customer acquisition cost. We felt like, how do we do that? And in the beginning, we've been working just like any other internal team. The growth team would come to us, just fill in a brief. Uh, we would make a couple of versions. We would go back and forth. And it would be it would take ages to produce something, first of all. Yeah, in the end, it would be all a little bit mediocre. And because it lacked that real-time communication. So the Astropods model really helps us with this, like address that workflow fragmentation. So by forming those dedicated teams, we ensure like seamless communication. We have like quicker decision-making and better alignment towards certain goals. It really depends on, on, on the problem that you're solving, as I mentioned earlier. So each pod has their own ritual. So for example, when we do paid advertising, we meet in a group every month for like one big brainstorming session. And then for the next three weeks, we are meeting with the same group of people for a review and live feedback sessions. Uh, and it's working great. We are much more aligned. The work keeps going async anyway. And there's always enough time to you know make a pivot or change things if we suddenly change a, uh, have a change of heart. I'm curious to know if the, especially for the paid advertising problem, my ears poked up when you said that because we're currently facing the same thing of like, mm. you know, keeping up with being able to produce ad creative or even like decide what content should be shown. Did any of your systems change as a result of the Astropod tackling that problem? Or was it more about now we're on a call, so we're just like real time collaborating on it? Did you end up with a different set of templates in Figma? Or oh. I don't know, was there like a, a different approach that got taken to creating the ads? Or was it enough just to get on a call and like that made yeah, it faster and better? I think it's a little bit more than that. I think like, so first of all, when we collaborate on that call, it's we have our own FigJam board where every pretty much nice. every single person in the room has their own little board where, you know, throughout the month, they're trying to get the, the best references or like something that they just found online. Maybe there's like a book that they read and like thinking like, oh, this is going to be cool. And maybe like we can use a, that little tidbit from here in, in our advertising. So everyone throughout the month, they're adding those cool little references or uh, pieces of inspiration to their own boards. And then we meet up on the, on the call, which is chat. And I think like it's beautiful because sometimes, oftentimes I'm actually not having full idea for an ad, uh, but I just have like this one. I, I saw this cool TikTok that 
I don't know, resonated with me. And sometimes it's only about this, like just sharing that with other people on the call. And maybe there is like another person says like, oh, this is cool. Like maybe we just combine it with this one. That's how the best ideas are brewed. Uh, so after that is done, we finish the call and our project manager basically puts all of those ideas. We, we roughly have an idea like what, what resonated with people after the call. So all those ideas are being gathered in Asana. And then we basically delegate few people. And it's usually like a senior, someone from the senior creative leadership to just finance those ideas a little bit more. Because usually like these are just like ideas, but you still have to. Yeah, just turn them into real work. It's interesting because oftentimes it's actually happening in, in a way that, you know, let's say we have an idea, it's being stored in Asana and you start working on it and then you feel like, oh, okay, actually it's not going to work. You know, actually it's not the best idea. Maybe we haven't really thought this through. Keeping it all in one place that everyone has access to, that our growth team can, you know, dive in and they just can provide our newest data that maybe, hey guys, this ad really performed well. So maybe we just use this little concept that you had in there in this new ad that you're because it's going to be like similar so yeah it's all about like fostering that uh, communication and um, companionship yeah that sounds like a great way to drive collaboration right because yeah if, if just a creative was making an ad by themselves they may not know the this mm -hmm. one had performed best or had that other idea that can like strengthen the general concept i really like that so speaking of ads, that's something that we often use Superside for at ConvertKit. <laughs> I'm really curious to know if Superside as a business uses Superside as a creative as a service solution. <laughs> yes, 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 we do. Um, you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. And um, yeah, I think it's it's quite remarkable, really. And I would really recommend more companies to use their own products, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, like long story short, our, um, so yeah, mar our marketing creative team has a subscription of Superside. Mm -hmm. and we you have do to have pay our for it even? We have to pay for it. Uh, and we, we have our own dedicated team uh, that works with my team. It's akin to tasting your own cooking. That what we serve our clients is of a top quality. But, you know, this not only helps us keep a pulse on our user experience, uh, but also offers us unique insights to continually improve our offerings and have access to resources that we don't have in our internal marketing team. For example, recently we've been um, creating uh, this new gifting campaign uh, with some custom AR experience that I'm very, very, very excited about. And we didn't have a person with such skills internally. And that's when we just decided, decided to use the SuperSight um, team to help us out with. And yeah, I could really name tons of examples just like that. It's just super convenient. I I'm sure that you know that as a creative leader, the creative demand isn't a straight line. It, it doesn't look the same every month you, and you don't need the same things every month. Sometimes we need to invest a little bit more into video for this campaign. And it would be smart for me to just suddenly hire 10 new video producers. But if we need that, we can have that with our subscription. And then after the project is done, we can just move on and use our subscription plan for something else. And if we don't use our plan in a particular month, our hours roll over to the next month. Uh, so nothing really goes to waste. I know it might sound a little bit ingenuine because I work at SuperSide, but for me as a creative leader, it's been a true blessing uh, because this solution really is, is making my life easier and our pipeline much, much, much more predictable. And if you ever work with a, in the marketing, like everything is super unpredictable. So yeah, I think like that really, really helps us. 
I love that you, it seems like anyway, you use Superside the same way I use Superside as a client. I thought you'd have like, I don't know, some sort of secret in where you're like, my work goes to the top of the queue because I'm Superside, but. I really Seems didn't like want to. You submit a project just, just like yeah, I do. <laughs> like we, 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 we just submit the projects just exactly like our customers do, and that was actually very important for us because yeah, initially when we when we chatted about this uh, as a solution, because I actually needed some new resources, and I was thinking like, oh, should we hire more people? And actually, uh, Amrita Mathur, our VP of marketing, told me like, why don't we just use SuperSite? You know, like that would be probably good for us. And I thought that was really really cool. And obviously, immediately when we started chatting with our operations team, they said like, oh, let's set you something up that is going to be like very, very custom. You don't going to have to go through the platform. Maybe it's going to be more convenient for you to go through the Slack or something. And I said like, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's actually try to use it exactly as our customers do. Because I'm, I was 90% sure that like we're going to find out stuff that will probably is driving our customers crazy and we might not even be aware of that, you know? And since we are all really engaged in making our product and our services better, we were sure that, you know, if we will have this experience, we can just make all of our customers' experiences better. So yeah, it was very, very crucial for me to, no, let's do it proper way. Let's, let's, let's be treated as the exact customers. If we decide to churn at some point, let's do it. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been definitely quite remarkable because also our teams really approached us, in a, like our SuperSite team really approached us in a way that we are a real client, not necessarily, you know, we are a part of our, the same company. So or maybe we'll be like slacking off a little bit. No, not at all. Like, I think like they really, they really tried their best to, to, to be our partners. I love that. I, I use ConvertKit as a creator because we're a like marketing software platform mm -hmm. for creators um but i do sometimes do the sneaky like backdoor way if i if i discover a bug i'm like i'm just gonna go on slack and report it instead of <laughs> channels but you're right maybe i should actually like go through the real support queue more often to be um testing out what that experience is like for our customers i like that let's talk about this idea of creative as a service because this is like a term that SuperSight is defining, right? It's not yeah. software as a service, it's creative as a service. And that's, it's not an agency, it's, it's not a freelancer, it's, it's something different. I know that that must be difficult to communicate, right, to people, to like introduce them to this new concept, this new type of, of a company, and that you created a landing page recently that walks people through it. So tell me about this. How did you decide that, first of all, a landing page could be a solution to this problem of helping people understand creative as a service. Absolutely. So yeah, I think it all started with, we knew that this is something new, like we are trying to really disrupt the industry. I think like for many, many years, people were just thinking like, oh, like if you need some creative help, like you either hire more people, you either go to some freelance marketplace like Fiverr, or you just go to agency, right? And I think we really tried our best to do a lot of education uh, around the fact that you don't have to really do that these days. Like you can have to come to, you know, companies like SuperSide that work within that model that is just better. And, and especially in this new age where pretty much every big company has their own internal creative team, share the same struggle, the same pain points as everyone else. Um, it's really crucial for people to understand like, how this is different from working with an agency. Perhaps I'm biased, but I think like agencies are, are like a relic of the past and, and they have their, their use cases. But I think for, for most of the companies, especially within the tech sector, 
I think it's just much better to work with, with something like SuperSide that allows you to keep up with that non-linear demand of creative. And yeah, we decided at some point, I think it was coming actually from, from our VP of marketing that, hey, let's, let's do a little bit of an ed education. And obviously that was a part of the, the landing page that we created was a part of the larger campaign, like a mini campaign around it. So obviously we had a lot of articles on our blog um, that are speaking to the problem, like educating people around that. But we also wanted to make sure that if you land on the superside.com and you, you, you have absolutely no idea what CAS is, you have a place where we store all the major information, like all the, the, the necessary examples of like, how do we work with our customers? But also like, why do you even need that? You know, because frankly speaking, some companies don't necessarily need that. Sometimes you are actually better off with like just hiring like one designer, but there are companies that could really benefit from a subscription service like, like ours. So that was very, very crucial for us to, to, to have this landing page. And yeah, it started with a with a with an idea from a marketing team. They they set the wheels in motion uh, with a brief that outlines their objectives, the the target audience, and the key messages they wanted to convey. In this particular instance, the brief was coming directly from uh, from our VP of marketing, and she explained to us like what she wants to achieve. She gave some pointers in terms of look and feel, and after that, it basically lands in our pipeline, and we start the wireframing first. Uh, then we go through a couple of early mockups and prototypes and so on. Does your team, the marketing creative team, create the content and the like final copy for the page as well? It, it really depends, but I would say like the marketing creative team really plays a significant role uh, in crafting the content and copy, but it's not an isolated effort. So we work hand in hand with our content team, uh, with our growth team, with our product marketing experts to ensure that content that we create is compelling, that it's clear and it's aligned with our objectives. But we do reserve the right to make changes and tweaks as the experts in UX and UI, you know, because it's one thing to write for a blog, but it's another thing if you, usually it means that you have to like, you know, cut 50% of what someone has written. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a different type of beast. So we, we, we like to reserve that right for like, hey, like we have a final say in terms of like how things look. Nice. And how does that go down or like work internally? So you get like a doc, I'm assuming, with, from the product marketers, content team saying, this is what the page should say. And then your team takes that and like passes it and decides this paragraph should actually be three points so that people can scan it more easily, for example. Is that sort of how the flow goes that you'll figure out what's trying to be communicated and how can we best show this? Yeah, question? sort of. Yeah. So, so absolutely. It, it starts with a brief, Will, and, and I feel like it all boils down to like asking why, you know, like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we, what are we hoping to achieve with like with this section? That's why I really love actually starting in a Google Doc, like when you're working on a landing page and actually Mati, my, my, my friend and our marketing creative lead on the, on the branding and design team, that's exactly how he starts uh, his work on the landing page because he's also like a copywriter for our website. So whenever he starts working on something, he just creates like a table in a Google Doc and that's like our first wireframe, so to speak. And we make sure that we don't have a final copy there, but we have like, we want to talk about this. We want to talk about that. Like we want people to feel this when they look at this. That's where we start. And usually through the iterative process, then it goes to the our UX and UI designer. Uh, and they obviously work on, on the mockups. And simultaneously, our copywriter is basically, is basically working on some first drafts of the copy. It goes through some revisions. Sometimes we go to the content team just to can, kind of get their input because they're very close to uh, what do we do. I would say it's really depending on a, on a, on a, on a page and the, and the project. And so the UI UX designer is the one who, like any landing page on the site, basically, they're the one who is designing it. And what tool do they use to design it? 
Ah, when it comes to design, uh, you know, we use a mix of tools depending okay. on the specific requirements of the project, but we're absolutely in love with Figma. And so if there is like anyone from Figma listening, uh, you know, kudos to you, like, I love it. Pretty much all of our pages are designed in it. And previously we had a lot of our assets inside of uh, Google Drive and also inside of Illustrator files we started moving it all to Figma because it empowers really everyone around us. So like if you are a UX and UI designer and you have an access to our library, you don't really have to brief anything to the design team, to the creative team, because they can, you can just, you know, we're lucky to have like a very, very clever and very intelligent and, and amazing UX and UI designer, uh, Camila. And she's been able to just like take something that she needs from that particular library and just like use it uh, on her own. So yeah, it was very important for us to kind of use Figma in that way that would empower us. And yeah, but of course our branding is full of illustrations and other types of designs. So obviously we use Adobe a lot. We use Lottie. Our website is actually built on a headless CMS called Sanity. Uh, so depending on the project, we just use whatever works best. And you know, if we need a tool that we've never used before, we always have a chance to speak with the rest of the creative teams at Supersite. And there is always a huge chance that there's at least one person <laughs> that will know that particular tool or that obscure little AI tool that, you know, makes you this or that. It's definitely very empowering for us to have the ability to kind of just reach out to, to so many people and, and ask them. So speaking of the site being built, and that's really interesting to hear that you're doing a headless CMS thing. We're doing something similar, but using WordPress as a headless CMS. I don't know if our developer loves it, so I think we might look into changing it. So I'm going to look into sanity. But how does this page get built? So the UI UX designer has finished the design for the creative as a service page, the content copy team, marketing team, people are happy with it. What happens next? So yeah, as, as for the building process, we do have a design system in place, uh, which helps mm -hmm. us maintain consistency across our pages, but it's still work in progress. However, it's also like flexible enough to allow for custom elements and creative freedom when required. So you could think of it as a base recipe that we can add our unique spices uh, to. Like add more garlic if you like garlic. Exactly. That's what I always do in a recipe. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> and, and yeah, and obviously for our marketing website, the needs um, for a design system are much smaller than, let's say, yeah. for our product, right? So we're trying our best to keep things organized, but also we don't want to be focusing too much on just having a design system that is mm. set in stone and, and where we can barely ch can change anything. This is actually the problem I, I personally have with a lot of people that are just jumping on design systems uh, hype train lately. I feel like it's a great thing to have, but more important is to ask yourself, do you really need it at this stage, at this particular stage? You know, is it, is it actually going to slow you down? Um, is it crucial for your success at this stage of, uh, of, of your company? Yes. And, um, so always choose workflows and systems that work for you in that particular moment without slowing you down. But yeah, long story short, after the design is finalized, it just goes to our internal, we call it an acquisition team. Um, and it's basically a team of developers with a PM at the helm that basically takes it, run with it. They also own the prioritization that is obviously has to be consulted with the marketing leaders, but they have the final say because they live and breathe it, right? So like, we, I don't know anything about coding, right? So like, I'm not going to tell anyone 
oh my god like why can't we just do it you know now uh all those like six different pages in the within the one month they would just hate me for it so yeah we 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 try our best to kind of pass it over to to their team obviously if they have like any kind of questions or if something is a little bit unclear from the documentation then they're just coming back to us but interesting thing is that Actually, Camila, our UX and UI designer, she's actually a part of two teams. So she's a part of our creative team, and she's effectively reporting to me. But she's also a part of this acquisition team, this um, team of developers. Uh, I, I like to say that the, the PM of that team is also kind of like we're co-managing her in a way. For example, even now we have uh, SAR, so our semi-annual reviews, and I always consult performance with uh, with that person. And it's I've been very hesitant to do so because i was feeling like oh like if someone is like in two teams then they're like not necessarily in any team like that that was my thinking but i think it all boils down to the attitude that people are having and luckily she has an amazing attitude about it and she really embraces that the fact that you know she has colleagues in a creative team and also she has colleagues and developers she has a great relationship with them and you know whenever they have some questions to her or like how does it work how do you really envision this not everything can be prototyped in Figma, you know? So yeah, they're making sure that, that the communication is there. Nice. I like that. That happens with our product designers at ConvertKit. They're part of the product team, but then they're part of an engineering squad as well, like a team within engineering, and they're partnered up. I feel very lucky that I have, oh, we only have one marketing developer, mm -hmm. but he's on my team. So we get to like keep things super close. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Um, okay. So after the page is shipped, so it's live on the site, what do you look at to understand did this solve our problem to track the performance of a page like this? To measure the performance of a page, we, we usually track a variety of different metrics. So these metrics could include things like page speeds, page visits, time spent on the page, and obviously conversion rates. We use also heat maps and tools like VWO uh, for A-B testing. For example, if we want to test like a new a different size of a button or something. Like we don't have to necessarily ask our developers to do that change, but we just do it through VWO. And of course, we try to listen as much as possible to the feedback uh, we receive from the people that actually work with our offering. So from BDRs, from sales, from people that use those pages very often to capture the demand. And yeah, we, we also try our best to, to have a lot of interviews with, uh, with our prospects, with our customers. So we try to sneak in, you know, those like quick feedback sessions. Like, what do you think about this page? Like, is, is everything clear here? And then we try to pair that with like what we imagine would be the objectives of that page, right? Mm. That makes sense. I like that. We use VWO also. It's fun to be able to run <laughs> that sort of test. I want to close out with some advice from you, but I'm also curious to hear what's next for you. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's do that first. What challenge are you working on solving at the moment or like what's coming up in the near future that you're going to be tackling? Now that the brand refresh has like happened and you said happened. it's like in place now. Yeah. So right now we're actually getting ready for our first out of home campaign um, in California. And it's been a wild ride. Uh, let me tell you this, because this is the first time we are attempting something like that. And we're doing it completely internally. And, but obviously, there are like a lot of unknowns, uh, a lot of things we need to figure out, tests, iterate on. So, yeah, it's been super exciting, but also a very stressful experience, I would say. Um, but I'm very excited to see how it goes. Um, and hopefully, everyone will like it. That's exciting. Yeah, that's, that's I remember the biggest challenge. <laughs> the first time that I saw something I designed on a literal billboard, I was like, what? It was like this small on my computer screen. And now it's like this big. Was, you know, I'm located in Poland, but uh, since the, this campaign is going to be in California, like I'm really feeling an urge to just buy a ticket and just go there and like make a selfie and just come back. I honestly <laughs> would if I was you. I think that that would be 
pretty we'll pretty rewarding. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so now then, what advice would you give to someone who wants to create really impactful brand and marketing design work in their company? If I could give a piece of advice to someone aiming to create like impactful brand and marketing design work, it would probably be this. First and foremost, the epicenter of your design should always be your audience. This is absolutely non-negotiable. A high quality design doesn't merely exist uh, to be a feast uh, for ice. It has a mission to accomplish. Uh, it should weave a story. It should create a dialogue, uh, inspire action and, and ignite emotions. So yeah, it's not about drawing a pre pretty picture. But moreover, it's important to remember that norms and standards are, there are guidelines and not as fixed constraints. I don't know, dare to disrupt the status quo, uh, push the boundaries of your creativity, ask questions, be voraciously curious and never close the door to learning. You know, continuous dialogue, whether it be within your team or with your audience is the lifeblood of a successful design. And a little secret sauce that I, that isn't spoken about very often, like stay deeply connected to, with the pulse of the world. I know it might sound cliche, but be a keen observer and uh, observer of the subtleties of life. Uh, notice the new movies hitting the screens, uh, the trending Barbie memes, uh, the, the conversations igniting the social media. All of those elements tell a story about the world at large. And being in tune with these stories will allow you to make a design that's not just relevant, but also culturally resonant. Finally, don't forget power of humor and playfulness and in design. Like people gravitate towards what makes them laugh. Uh, so what, what provides a moment of joy in their life? Uh, so when it's fitting, infuse your work with a touch of lightheartedness. I love that. I did not expect for the Barbie movie to come up in, in your <laughs> advice. Um, that was wonderful. And I do think that seeing the schmoon, you said it's called, right? Mm -hmm. Jumping as the loading animation. That brings me joy every time I'm looking. Uh, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing those photos of the Out of Home campaign. Amazing. Yeah, I'll make sure to, to share it. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed hearing about all the ways that Piotra and his team foster collaboration. I definitely picked up some tips for things that I could be doing differently in that area. And I hope that you did too. You'll find loads more episodes featuring in-depth interviews with design leaders in tech on my website, InsideMarketingDesign.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or even just tell your team about it. There is not a lot of shows out there that are focused on the branded marketing side of design and tech. And I always love hearing from folks who have discovered the show for the first time or had it recommended to them. And they're just always so excited to have a show focused on our little part of the design world. So help me spread the word about it. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.